Let's get going, guys. We are going to dive in today and pick up where we left off last week as we've been in this series, Alternate Reality. We've been talking about the reality that we live in versus the reality of who we are. When we look up the definition of the word reality, it's the world or the state of things as they actually exist, as opposed to an idealistic or notional idea of them. We have, as a born-again believer, a world that we are a part of, that we are in, but we are not of. And the distinction between that is so necessary for us to walk in the fullness of what God has called us to do, of who He's created us to be, and the things that He has enabled us to do. And if you think for a moment that you are just here to exist and that God saved you, now you get out of jail free type of thing, and that's the only part of this, then you are sadly and sorely mistaken. Because God created a family in the beginning. His intention was to have a family in the end. And it wasn't, as far as salvation is concerned, it wasn't just so that you don't have to go to hell. And then He didn't create us to just simply exist and take up space and oxygen. We're succeeding at that. But that's not why we're here. He didn't say go into all the world and preach the gospel and make disciples of all nations unless he intended for us, and watch this, to go into all the world to preach the gospel and make disciples of all nations. But yet, we know that, but we don't do it because we're too focused carnally of the things of this world. We walk in this world as if we are a part of it. And the thing is, is that we're sojourners here. We're just simply passing through time. Which is crazy to think about. But I mean, have you guys heard about these ambassadors that come from other country? I remember going through eighth grade, like, I don't remember, there was some, ge- it wasn't geography, some, uh, like, uh, what do they call that? Sci- not science, man, like, po- political, social, st- all that kind of stuff. Whatever, whatever the term, well, there's a term for that. Forgive me, I went to public school in Nebraska, so... But there's a term for that. And, and so I remember sitting there, and the, and the teacher, the one day I was awake and paying attention, right? Like some of you, okay? And... Uh, He was talking about like ambassadors from another country when they come here have full immunity to the laws. Meaning they can literally do whatever they want and there is no consequences. Well, he had my attention. Because suddenly I'm like, I could do that. I could be an ambassador for somebody doing something. I mean, I don't know how I don't know how this works. Do you go to school for this? Do you gotta like grease some palms to get in this job? But I want this gig. But they were talking about how when they came over, and this is what fascinated me, they came over as a representative of that nation, and it was like they were speaking on behalf of the will of the leaders of that nation. And what they said, they could negotiate, they could make deals, they could do all of that. Now, times they would have to reference back to the bigger, you know, the heads of of state, if you will, or whatever they were called, to make sure that this is what they truly wanted. But I mean, when they were here, not only could they do anything that they wanted, and I'm sure some of them did, but they were full on with authority to walk into whatever nation it was and speak on behalf of that nation. I'm in eighth grade and I'm thinking, this is sweet. I didn't make the spiritual connection. You know why? I was in eighth grade. I was an idiot. Half the time I was flicking boogers at the wall, I'm sure. But the thing is, it's like when I, I remember for the first time, I was sitting there, I was, in, I was probably a senior in high school, maybe just a hair younger, but I heard a preacher talking about being an ambassador for Christ. And it was like this light went on in my head. For the first time, I'm like, wait a minute. That's the same thing that this, this teacher was telling me. It was the same word. 
And as he began to portray this idea, it was like, it's literally the same thing. It's almost like these guys stole this right out of the Bible. We are ambassadors for Christ on this earth as a part of a planet that you and I are not of, but we are in. And what we say should be based on the will of the Father. So that means like when you hit your thumb with a hammer and you say some not so nice words, you are speaking on behalf of God. Now we laugh about that, but I'm like, I'm serious. Like what we say goes because we are, it's what it says, we are His ambassadors. When we're sitting there and we're gossiping or we're trashing somebody else, whether it be a ministry, a pastor, it could be a friend or a neighbor or somebody you just don't like. Do you know there are people in this world you don't like? I swear God puts them in our lives on purpose. But when we're speaking, we're speaking on behalf of God because everybody knows we're His representative. I'll tell you guys a story. When I, I went through a rebellious phase in my life, okay? I know you're shocked to hear that, right? Not possible. But I mean, something had happened with church, and I got really hurt and offended and all of this other stuff. And um, I, I guess in one way you could look, I had a right to be hurt and offended. I just didn't have a right to do it and handle it the way that I did. But I was young, and I was dumb, and, you know, just life. But I went through this phase of uh, where I just, I'm just going out, and I'm going to live like the world. I just don't care anymore. Smoking, drinking, the whole night. Doing all of this stuff. I'm in high school. And I'd lived my whole life. I always wore those, you remember them cheese ball Christian t-shirts? They probably still make them. But you know, they were like, they take the logo of something, you know. You know what I'm talking about. You guys know what I'm talking about. What's that? I had a bunch of them. My mother bought them, okay? I didn't have a say. I just wore whatever. Whatever was at the top of the drawer next is what got worn, okay? So that's just how it worked. But anyway, I'd always, you know, everybody knew me as a church kid and all this kind of stuff. And I went through this phase, and I was kind of being rebellious. And suddenly I had all these new friends that I'd never had before. And everybody wanted to hang out because apparently I was a fun guy at a party. That's what they tell me. And so I had one night, I was going uh, with a friend of mine. This was a friend from church, and we were just going camping. But at his place out in the, the, the country, they were having a big old party. And I was just there because we were going camping. I wasn't drinking. I wasn't doing anything bad. I was just there waiting for him when this was over we were going to go camping okay i think i'm probably 16 17 years old i don't remember and uh, this girl comes up to me i was in my class and she walks up she's like chris schimmel what are you doing here well you know what was going through my mind right it's like how you doing <laughs> Shirley's hitting on me yeah well i mean she's only human i can understand it the draw so anyway so she's sitting and I'm like oh nothing I'm just hanging out she's like I can't believe you're at one of these I'm like what do you mean she's like this isn't what you do you're the church guy and I'm standing there and I'm like well I'm not drinking or anything I was like yeah but I can't even believe you're here and it was such a kick in the gut like it was the beginning of this awakening that I was having and it was like what on earth am I doing because in that moment, how was I being an ambassador for Christ? I was representing Christ not in a good way. You see, I was going through this phase and this, this understanding as the Lord was growing me individually to realize something that what I had done for years prior could be undone in a moment. Because I had lived my life. I mean, I was at school. I was the guy that was dropping, handing out tracks. And you guys remember the money tracks? They look like money. I was the guy dropping those all over the place. 
Never tell you the funny story about the heavyweight wrestler? I'm going to tell you it anyway. <laughs> We're in gym class. We had a heavyweight state like qualifying wrestling guy. He had to cut weight to make the 285 to tell you how large this man was. And I walked over by his locker and threw one of those $20 bills down. And I walked around the corner and I watched him do one of these. And if you can see, I'll come up here so you can see it. He was standing there as if, you know, he, he's doing this. It's over here. He sees it. He looks around. He does one of these. And then he just slides his foot back and just stands there till nobody's looking. Then I watched him pick it up. Now, I didn't think anything more of it. What I didn't know was he had plans for that money that afternoon. He went down to the local restaurant, the little Mexican restaurant at that time, and ordered all of this food. And he reached in his pocket to pull out this newfound $20 bill, the only source of money that he had. And he opens it up to pay for him, and it says, Disappointed? You won't be if you make Jesus the Lord of your life. <laughs> so he had to run home, get some money from his parents to go get all the food that he had just eaten. And the next day, he is going through the locker room. Which one of you idiots dropped this by me? And you know what I did? I left. I wasn't sticking around to find out how that was going to end. I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't hang out. But I promise you, he never forgot I don't know that he gave his life to Christ, but he never forgot that moment because I never forgot that moment. You see, the thing is, guys, is like we are here with a purpose. We have work to do. Look at John chapter 17, verse 13. But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word. The world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself, that they also may be sanctified by the truth. You know, what we just read here is that we're in this world. We're not of this world. And this world hates us. And you know what makes them not hate us? When we suddenly become tolerant. When we suddenly just try to get along. When we suddenly try to impress them with carnal methods. When we try to do things to make them like us. And Jesus said, they hate me, they will hate you. That means that if the world is not hating us, we could be doing something wrong. There is not a single verse inside of the New Testament that will give you any indication whatsoever that the carnal world of which you and I are living in will love and embrace you in any way. This is a modern theology. It is one that has come about because it is much easier to get along. Do you realize why the church in America is the way it is? It's one simple answer. We have never faced persecution. What does it cost somebody to go to church? Nothing. What does it cost somebody to be a Christian? Nothing. It costs us nothing. What do you have to give up in America? What friends do you have to get rid of? None. Because what does it mean to be a Christian? Whatever you want. There is no standard of which we are applying to this. But you go to other parts of the world and you claim Christianity, it may cost you your life. It may cost you your family. It may cost you your business. It may cost you everything that you have. As we read last week, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. I showed you what that meant than it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Why is that? That camel's got to take off everything if he's going to go through those doors. And here, do we have to take off anything? Nope. We don't. 
we are trying really hard to impress people that according to Jesus will hate us. So why do we keep trying? What message should we be sending to this world? God is real and scripture is true. What message are we sending? God is real and you interpret scripture how you want. Look at 1 John chapter 2, verse 3. Now by this we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. He who says I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we are in him. He who says he abides in him ought also to walk just as he walks. So what happens when somebody says I know him? But we don't keep the commandments. What are the commandments? Are we talking about the Ten Commandments? Or perhaps the 613 that are in the Levitical law? What commandments are we talking about? I mean, Jesus simplified it, but that's all encompassed in the Old Testament. To love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And to love your neighbor as yourself. Simple enough, right? As long as we know what love means. Because love does not mean embrace. My son is finding that out right now. You're driving me nuts, boy. And I love you. So go to your room. We wouldn't do it if we didn't care. You see, I know him, but I don't do what he said, act as he act, speak his words. Am I lying to myself? Probably. See, we judge them by their fruits. We'll get back to that. There are two realities. The reality is there's a carnal reality of a world that we are a part of, and there's a spiritual reality of the world that we are from. And what I want you to understand something, and this is what I keep reiterating, is that we have put the Bible on par with God Himself. And I want to be careful how I say this. As if this is some sort of a letter that's just been written to us that you know, it's like a love letter written to us or whatever the case may be, and that Jesus is up here, which he is, and we're down here, and there's no interaction. So when we say, what would Jesus do? What we mean is carnality, what would Jesus do? Would he go to that party? Would he say those words? But we should ask a greater question, is what did Jesus do? And is there an expectation that we do the same thing? See, when Jesus was on this earth, you have to remember, was he a man or was he God? He was a man. Yes, he was all man. Yes, he was all God. I know this is confusing. It's intellectual constipation. It's hard to get past. Okay? But he was a man on this earth who grew in his understanding, which is weird to say because we're talking about Jesus. But we see it in Scripture. In uh, Luke chapter 2, verse 51 It says, then he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject to them. But his mother kept all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and with men. Now, why would he need to do that? He's Jesus, the Son of God. Why would he need to grow in wisdom? Why would he need to grow in stature? Why would he need to grow in favor with God? He is God. Because he wasn't on this earth as God. That's the hard part. It's hard to wrap our heads around that, and it almost seems heretical to try to bring Jesus down to our level. But we don't do that. He did that. He could have shown up as God and done all sorts of cool stuff, like, I don't know, divide the Red Sea so people could go through it. He could show up as the angel of God. He could show up and kill the firstborn. He could show up and do all sorts of stuff, supernatural. He could be a cloud by day. He could be a fire by night. And he did all of those things. 
as God. But in the New Testament, everything he did was as man. Filled with the Holy Spirit as our example. You see, he grew in his understanding of who he was and the will of his Father. He grew in his understanding of how God worked. He grew in his understanding of the authority that had been given to him. And how did he grow in that understanding? Was it supernatural experience after supernatural experience? No. Although that does play a part in it. It was his reading and understanding of the Scriptures. Because to him, as he read what we call the Old Testament, this is his people's history. This is us reading George Washington and Abraham Lincoln. Like, this is where he comes from. And look what God did. And look how God did it. And look how God has always stayed faithful to every promise that he has given. To do what Jesus did, we have to think like Jesus thought and see like Jesus saw. And what he did, and what he thought, and what he saw, is that when God makes a promise, it will always be fulfilled. Every single time. Is there one promise in Scripture that has not been fulfilled, or will not be fulfilled? The answer is no. Every single one of them. Do we walk on this earth with that reality in mind? No, we do not. We talk... But we don't act. We do not act as if we are sons of God, daughters of God, seated at the right hand of the Father with Jesus. Jesus grew in His understanding. We grow in our understanding. It's not about us. It's about Him. In John chapter 5, look at verse 20. You see, Jesus progressed as He went. He said, For the Father loves the Son... And shows him all the things that he himself does. And he will show him greater works than these that you may marvel. Now, what is Jesus talking about? The Father loves the Son. No question. He shows him all the things that he himself does. How does he show it to him? He showed him through the Word. He's also showing them as he's acting these things out. And he will show him greater works than these. So at this point, whatever Jesus had done, there are greater things that will be seen. Why? So that you may marvel. See, the part that we miss is Jesus' humanity. We don't look at it like that. But that is literally what it says. He was born as a man. He died as a man. He raised as the Son of God. So, first thing, Jesus did not know everything. Wait a minute, He's all-knowing. I know, it's a conundrum, isn't it? It's weird. Did he come on this earth knowing everything? If the answer was yes, then why was he sitting in the temple right after Passover asking questions? They were astounded by his understanding. God was moving through him. But he didn't know everything when he was here. He gave up his godhood. Jesus was renewing his mind to what was possible. How was he doing that? Look what God did. If it was true that God worked in mysterious ways, would we have any expectations for God whatsoever? No, we can't. It's impossible. Because we don't know how he's going to move. You know that verse where believers lay hands on the sick and they will recover? Every single time we'd be like, I hope this is the one. God works in mysterious ways. You know what that is? That's an excuse. So he was renewing his mind. Jesus knew that more was available. You're going to see this here momentarily. And he also knew that the world needed to be wowed. All the miracles he performed, 
got the attention of those around. Did anything change since that day? No. Do miracles get people's attention? Absolutely they do. Is it a surefire bet that they will come to Christ because of miracles? Absolutely not. What do they try to do with Lazarus? Kill him. What do they do to the guards? Tell them you fell asleep and the disciples stole the body. I don't know. Listen, dude's in a grave for four days and he shows up here on Sunday morning. It would get our attention, right? We might let him give a testimony. You see, that's the thing. It's like we'd be wowed by it. But just because we would be doesn't mean everybody would be. What would start happening? Oh, he wasn't really dead. Oh, that's an imposter. Oh, these people were so grieved that they just really wanted it, wanted him to be alive. That's all it was. Does any of that make sense? Do you know that those are three arguments against the resurrection of Jesus used by really smart people today? Would it be any different today? No. See, that's the thing. But we don't put ourselves in that world. You see, Jesus was always pushing the boundaries of what was possible. This alternate reality. Look what he did with water as an example. Now, I'm not going to make a big deal out of this. But the first miracle that Jesus ever performed in Scripture was watered wine. Okay? Now, if you're like me, it'd be water to Diet Coke. It'd be water to your favorite beverage of any kind. Okay? But, but be that as it may, it was water to wine. And then... A little while on, what did he do? There was a storm and he calmed the water, which is pretty impressive. Pretty impressive. The ultimate one, one that I, like many of you, have tried to accomplish on their own, is he walked on water. Now, I am pretty heavy and not buoyant, apparently. And it didn't work. But I, don't tell me y'all didn't try that as a kid, like to see how far you could run out before you sank. Okay, maybe it's just me. You see, Jesus, it was like he was, it's almost like a progression in his ministry. Because the more he saw God do, the more he knew God would do. There was never a doubt. Look at Romans chapter 12. We're just going to read verse 2. It says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now, let me ask you this question. Do not be conformed to this world. Every time we hear that, what does our mind go to? Don't act like them. Don't talk like them. Don't, don't do the things that they do, right? And that's true. But how do we not do that? We are transformed by the renewing of your mind. You see, what we always do, and you guys will catch this, is we always turn it into a moral argument. Don't cuss like they do. Don't drink like they do. Stay out of the strip clubs. Stay away from the gambling facility. Don't go to the casinos. But is that what he's talking about? Certainly that's part of it, but that's not the argument here. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Why do we need to do that? That you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. How can we prove it? Because we accept what he said is true. There's no argument against this. Everything he said is a possibility. That means, guys, I'll prepare you. There will be another pandemic. Just get ready. How should we respond? There will be an economic crisis that is going to hit. Some of us think it's going on right now. $5 diesel. Isn't that fun? Maybe you don't have diesel. $4 gas. Whatever. It's not fun. 
how do we respond? Do we whine? Do we complain? Are we just thankful that God has always provided and always met our needs? What, how we respond is strictly a response from what we believe. From what we believe is true. What you see will determine what is real to you. And so let's look at this in Numbers chapter 13. I want to give you this as an example. We're going to read Numbers chapter 13 and chapter 14. This is the moment they have left Egypt. And why did they leave Egypt? They left Egypt because God enabled them to. But God also told Abraham that your people will be in bondage for 400 years, at which time I will bring them out of there and give them a land that is not their own. And there's a timeline that he's got to do all of this on because he said he was going to. So who has control of the land? Ultimately, it's God, right? God said, I'm giving you this land. So was it their land to take? Yes, God's giving it to them, right? Let me ask you this. Is salvation free? Can anybody receive it? Absolutely. So what's stopping us? Whether we want to or not. Whether we want to or not. It's totally up to us whether we want to or not. And sometimes we do and sometimes we don't. But the reality is it is free. And if God said it is free for everybody, that means it's open for everybody. That we can turn from our sins and we can renew our mind into God. We can do that, right? Look at Numbers chapter 13. Verse 1, it says, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the children of Israel. From each tribe of their fathers you shall send a man, every one a leader among them. So Moses sent them from the wilderness of Paran, according to the command of the Lord, all of them men who were heads of the children of Israel. Now, these were their names. I'm going to go through this quickly, okay? From the tribe of Reuben, Shemua, the son of Zechor, the tribe of Simeon, Shaphat, the son of Hori, the tribe of Judah, Caleb, the son of Jephunneh. From the tribe of Issachar, Egel, the son of Joseph. The tribe of Ephraim, Hosea, the son of Nun. From the tribe of Benjamin, Paltry, the son of Raphu. The tribe of Zebulon, Gadiel, the son of Sodi. From the tribe of Joseph, that is from the tribe of Manasseh, Gadi, the son of Susi. From the tribe of Dan, Amiel, the son of Gamali. From the tribe of Asher, Sethur, the son of Michael. From the tribe of Naphtali, Nahdi, the son of Bosphi. Uh, from the tribe of Gad, Gil, the son of Machai. These are the names of the men who, whom Moses sent to spy out the land and whom Moses called Hosea, the son of Nun, Joshua. Now, these names all have value, but not today. Okay? That's why we went through them fast. Now look at verse 17. Then Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan. And he said to them, Go up this way into the south and go up to the mountains and see what the land is like, whether the people who dwell in it are strong or they're weak, they're few or they're many, whether the land they dwell in is good or bad, whether the cities they inhabit are like camps or are they strongholds, whether the land is rich or poor and whether there are forests there or not, but be of good courage, bring some of the fruit of the land, now the time of the season of the first uh, ripe grapes. Now, so what's he saying? Go in there and check it out. What do the people look like? Where are they set up? Are they simply in camps? Do they have fortified barriers and walls? What do we have to deal with? What is the land like? I mean, is it, is it worth going to? Is it rich? Is it, are there forests? Because we need some trees. Is there nothing? Like, you just check it out. That's all you have to do. Verse 21, So they went up and spied out the land from the wilderness of Zen as far as Rehob, near the entrance of Hamath. And they went up from the south, came to Hebron, Ahaman, Jeshi, uh, Seshi, and Talmud, the descendants of Anak. Now, that's an important name there. We'll come back to that. We're there. Now, Hebron was built seven years before Zoan in Egypt. So he's giving us a timeline. Then they came to the valley of Eskel, and there cut down a branch with one cluster of grapes. They carried it between two of them on a pole. 
They also brought some of the pomegranates and figs. The place was called the Valley of Eskel because of the cluster which the men of Israel cut down, and they returned from spying out the land after 40 days. So was this a one-day trip? No, 40 days. What did they do? They took a cluster of grapes, they took some pomegranates, they took some figs. They're bringing the fruit of the land big uh, back. How big was it? Well, it took two men to carry one cluster of grapes. Okay, So they must be pretty good-sized grapes or very small men. It could be either or, all right? But this was a long journey. This is 40 days. So in other words, in 40 days, they had probably gone around, started in one area, looked around. We're talking about a big territory they're going in. Now look at verse 26. Now they departed and came back to Moses and Aaron, all the congregation of the children of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. They brought back word to them into all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. Now, would you be impressed by that? I'd be impressed by that. Then they told him and said, we went to the land where you sent us. It truly flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. So in other words, this is very good land. Don't think of rivers of milk and rivers of honey. That's not what that means. This is a land that is producing uh, greatly. So this is good. Verse 28, nevertheless, the people who dwell in the land are strong. The cities are fortified and very large. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south. The Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites dwell in the mountains. And the Canaanites dwell in, by the sea and along the banks of the Jordan. Now, what did he just say? The land is awesome. It's awesome. But we got a problem. These people, they're huge. They're strong. The cities, these aren't camps. These are fortified cities. They are prepared for battle, and these are big cities. But we saw the descendants of Anak, the Amalekites, the Hittites, Jebusites, Amorites, and the Canaanites. Now, if you have been coming on Wednesday nights for a while, those tribes should sound familiar. Why should they sound familiar? These are all tribes of the giants, the Nephilim. These are large men. So, yeah, the land looks good, but we got giant people to deal with. We've got fortified cities to deal with. There's no way. Verse 30, look what Caleb said. Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and take possession, for we are well able to overcome it. I love Caleb. Now, put yourself in that situation. Church that we have today, Big C Church, okay? Not, not Grace, Big C Church. Twelve people went, ten come back, there's a problem. One guy says, there's no problem. You think it'd be any different today? The answer is no. Wouldn't be any different today. Why not? Because nothing has changed. Because for every two, Caleb and Joshua... There's 10 people saying, you can't do that. No, nope, you can't do that. That's not how, that's not how God would, they're, they're going to kill us. We just can't, we can't handle it. Verse 30 again. Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and take possession, for we are well able to overcome it. Why does he believe that? Well, what had happened? They came out of Egypt. They'd gone through the Red Sea. What did they do for that? Nothing. Be obedient to what God had said. He watched him crush Pharaoh and his army. Would you have any doubts left? The answer is yes, you would. Because you'd be just like them. 
We all would be, right? That's how we are. Unless you truly, truly believe what God has said. Now, verse 31. But the men who had gone up with them, we are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. And they gave the children of Israel a bad report of the land which they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone as spies is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people whom we saw in it are men of great stature. There we saw the giants, the descendants of Anak came from the giants. And we were like grasshoppers in our own sight. And so we were in their sight. So what did they do? We cannot do this. This is not possible. It's impossible. We can't do it. Caleb... Shut up. You're going to get us all killed. Now, put that in modern times, guys. Would it be any different? No. Are there people out there that truly walk by faith, simply believing what God has said, and there is no pandemic, financial crisis, war, anything that will stop them? Yeah, there are people like that. But there are also others like, no, 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 no. We just need to get along. We can go into the city. We just need to pinch the incense. We've got families to take care of. Again, keep in mind, this is the stuff that's going on. Look at verse, or let's go to chapter 14, verse 1. So all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried, and the people wept that night. And all the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron, and the whole congregation said to them, If only we had died in the land of Egypt, or if only we had died in this wilderness, why has the Lord brought us to this land to fall by the sword that our wives and children should become victims? Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? So they said to one another, let us select a leader and return to Egypt. And you're sitting here listening to this like, how? How could you? What did you just experience? What did you see? How do you think it's any different today? Hello, sea, dry land. You went through it. Big army chasing you. No more alive. Super tall guys with weapons. Caleb's the only one that bought it. Did God move in mysterious ways? No, he did everything he said he was going to do. And Caleb believed it. But these guys did it. It's no different today. Let's keep going. Verse 5, Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation, the children of Israel. But Joshua, verse 6, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, who were among those who espied out the land, they tore their clothes. Remember, this is a sign. They are in torment. They're in sorrow. And they spoke to all the congregation, the children of Israel, saying, now watch this, the land we pass through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. And if the Lord delights in us, then he will bring us into the land and give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord, nor fear the people of the land, for they are our bread. Their protection has departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. What are they standing on? What God had promised. Verse 10. And all the congregation said to stone them with stones. Now the glory of the Lord appeared in the tabernacle of meeting before all the children of Israel. They were coming against the only two people who were truly standing on the promises of God. Is it any different today? Nope. If you're going to stand on God's promises, expect backlash from the body of Christ. They'll be the first ones to come against you. There is more dissension in the church. They'll speak against the pastor, the evangelist, the prophet, the person sitting next to them. How dare they believe that? How they, they make me look bad. No, that's, that's being foolish. That's not of faith. Yada, yada, yada. 
it's also being foolish to plan to go in there and take down an army of giants and take their land from them unless God said that you should. Verse 11. Then the Lord said to Moses, how long will these people reject me? And how long will they not believe me? With all the signs which I have performed among them. That's a good question. Who are they rejecting? They're not rejecting the land. They're not rejecting. They're rejecting God here. I will strike them with pestilence and disinherit them. And I will make of you a nation greater and mightier than they. And Moses said to the Lord, then the Egyptians will hear it. For by your might... You have brought these people up from among them, and they will tell it to the inhabitants of this land. They have heard that you, Lord, are among these people, that you, Lord, are seen face to face, and your cloud stands above them, and you go before them in pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. Now if you kill these people as one man, then the nations which you have heard of your fame will speak, saying, because the Lord was not able to bring this people to the land which he swore to give them, therefore he killed them in the wilderness. Now what is he doing? He said, God, you did all of these things, but if you wipe them out now, it's for your name, not the nation of Israel, it's your name that will be tarnished. Look, he brought them out, yeah, that's great, but he couldn't take them all the way. Verse 17, and now I pray, let the power of my Lord be great, just as you have spoken, saying, the Lord is long-suffering and abundant in mercy, forgiving iniquity and transgression, but he by no means clears the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation. Pardon the iniquity of this people, I pray, according to the greatness of your mercy, just as you have forgiven this people from Egypt even until now. Then the Lord said, I have pardoned according to your word. But truly as I live, all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. Because all these men who have seen my glory and the signs which I did in Egypt and in the wilderness and have put me to the test now these ten times and have not heeded my voice, they certainly shall not see the land which I swore to their fathers, nor shall any of those who rejected me see it. But my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit in him and has followed me Fully, I will bring into the land where he went, and his descendants shall inherit it. Now the Amalekites and the Canaanites dwell in the valley. Tomorrow turn and move out into the wilderness by the way of the Red Sea. Now, here's the thing. What did he say? These men will never see it because they have rejected my word. They have seen it, all my promises, all the power, but they have rejected my word. Except, there's only two, Caleb and Joshua. He says about Caleb, what's he say? Because he has a different spirit in him and has followed me fully. So which part of this grouping do you want to be? It's a fair question. Nine times out of ten, guys, whether we like to admit it or not, we are the ten. We are not the two. Because Caleb had a different spirit in him and he's followed him fully. He fully trusted him. Whatever God said, God will do. There is no mystery. What God says, God will do. Now, what do you think Jesus was growing in? See, he read this story. They were going into the promised land. Jesus is living in the promised land. He knew how God was going to move. There was never a doubt. There are two different point, viewpoints here. What God said and what I see. What I see as a land full of giants that it is impossible for us to go in there and take. But God said it's ours. we got to go take it. That's what God said. But what I see, that's not the case. 
You see, as believers, we should have almost a superiority complex as we walk in this world because the things of this world really need to get small in our eyes. We make great things about carnal things. When I say carnal, I mean things of this world, whether it be economics, whether it be sickness. We make great things of these. But this is the God who said, hey, you see all them giants over there? Just, just go in. I gave you that. It's yours. Just go take it. All you got to do is go. I'll take care of it. When they ultimately go, what happens? Think about Jericho. Y'all, I swear God just sitting up there is like, you know, it be hilarious. All right, check this out. I'm going to make them march around the building every day. Okay? They're just going to mind their, they're going to be marching around the building. People at Jericho are going to think, those guys are out of their mind. Oh, that's cute. They're marching in formation. That's like a band. Make sure the cadence is right. He said, then check this out. On the last day, they're going to go around seven times. And then I'm going to make them yell really loud. It's going to be hysterical. Now, if God had said that today, how many people are out marching around? No, there's too many of the ten and not enough of the two. But here's the thing. Everything that God has said and promised is our right. That we should live in a world where this world is really small, but God is really big. The name above all names? It should mean something more to us than what it does. Look at Colossians chapter 3. Verse 1, it says, If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Now, there's a caveat here. The caveat is the word if. If you were raised with Christ. Well, now, who is he talking about? Those who are born again. If you are born again, then you were raised with Christ. So if we're raised with Christ, what should we seek? Those things which are above where Christ is at the right hand of God, as we know the seat of authority. Set your mind on the things from above and not the things on the earth. What do we always turn this into? Don't build up treasures on this earth. It's a moral thing. It's something. In other words, it's a behavioral modification. But that's not what he's saying. The things from which are above is where the authority comes from. The seat of the authority, the commandment comes down from. Of which you and I are to focus our attention. In other words, we need to think like where we are from and not where we are at. As an ambassador, you think like where you are from not where, you are, uh, where you're currently at. There's a difference. See, where we're at is in a broken world full of sin and darkness, where sickness travails, where death resides. But where we're from, all of that has been defeated because it's a name. We're Christ on this earth. I know that's a bold statement. But it took some boldness to stare down a bunch of giants and be like, y'all, God said, let's, just, let's go take the land. I don't want to go through the wilderness no more. Let's go to the land. Did you see the grapes? They're big grapes. Let me give you this quote from Smith Wigglesworth. You guys are familiar with him. He was a, a, an illiterate man who was a plumber, essentially, but a mighty man of God operated in miracles. He said, there's a realm of God where nothing is impossible. There is unlimited power, untold resources, and complete dominion over Satan. 
And this dude got some results if you look up anything about him. You see, if you confuse your condition with your position, you will fail. If you see lack, you will draw back. And we focus too much on doing things instead of who we are and being. I didn't mean to make all those things rhyme, by the way. That just, that just happened, all right? I just typed them out. It's the first time I've said them. But if you think about it. If you confuse your condition with your position. See, down here on this earth, we're in a dirty world. But we're not from it. We're from up here. We need to walk like we're from up here. Down on this earth, you may have lack, whatever that may be, in, physically, financially, emotionally, spirit, whatever. But from up here, where we're from, there is no lack. All needs have been met emotionally, spiritually, physically, financially, all of them. So we need not fear. Because God takes care of things. Unless He truly works in mysterious ways, of which then we have no guarantee. Think about that. If we cannot know what the will of the Father is, then how can we pray that His will be done? How will we know when it's been accomplished? We have to be able to know His will. James chapter 1, verse 21. Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness. Receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word, and not hearers only. Deceiving yourselves, for if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks in the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. If anyone among you thinks he is religious, but does not bridle his tongue, he deceives his own heart. This one's religion is useless." Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. Boy, there's a lot in here to unpack, okay? But remember, it's not a religion, it's a relationship. Somebody should have told James. We'll come back to that. You see, what's going on here is James is being, bringing correction. This is not new. This isn't the first time that this has happened. I want to show you something in Ezekiel chapter 33. Then we'll come back to James. I'm almost done, I promise. Ezekiel chapter 33, verse 30. It says, As for you, son of man, the children of your people are talking about you beside the walls and in the doors of the houses. What are they doing? They're gossiping. And they speak to one another, everyone saying to his brother, Please come and hear what the word is that comes from the Lord. So they come to you as people do. And they sit before you as my people, and they hear your words, but they do not do them. For with their mouth they show much love, but their hearts pursue their own gain. Indeed, you are to them as a very lovely song of one who has a pleasant voice and can play well on an instrument. For they hear your words, but they do not do them. And when this comes to pass, surely it will come. Then they will know that a prophet has been among them. This is what James is talking about. Yeah, they hear it. And it sounds nice, but deep inside, they're not doing what you're saying. Remember, these guys did not just have Scripture to turn back to. These were the mouthpieces of God. This is how God spoke to the nation of Israel, to His people. So yeah, they come up there, hey, you need to come. Come on, let's go. Let's go hear what He has to say. But their hearts were far from them. Does that sound familiar today? Absolutely. You see, we have to stare at ourselves in the mirror and say, where am I really at? 
I have been talking to multiple pastors over the last couple of years, and some are doing well and some are struggling. And it's like, I don't care where your faith is. I just need you to admit it. Because if you talk like your faith's up here and you can go into that city and you will take the land for God, but your actions don't line up with that, then truth be told, your faith is here. And that's okay, but unless you admit it, we cannot grow from it. We have to be honest where we are so that we can move beyond to get to where we need to be. Now look at James 1 again. I want to break this down a little bit. It says, Therefore lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. If anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work. This one will be blessed in what he does. If any among you thinks he's religious, is not bridal his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. Pure and undefiled religion before God the Father is, is this. Visit orphans and widows in their trouble to keep oneself unspotted from the world. Now, you've got to understand what he's talking about. He is dealing with, obviously, two types of people. Unbeliever and believer. And the believer is in a dirty world, and you just need to keep yourself from the filthiness and the nastiness in this world. But you also have to go back in time and put this in its context of what was going on. Because in Corinth, at this time period, there are two parts. Number one, they did not have mirrors like you and I have today, okay? Where you wake up every morning and you look at that thing and you say, man, that mirror is lucky it gets to look at me every day. It's not how it worked. Because only the rich had them, but it was made of bronze. There were no glass mirrors like we have. So the image you saw back was a blurry image. It wasn't clear. And most people couldn't afford those. You could fix your hair. You might be able to do your makeup, but that was about it. They, they, those with enough resources to have these mirrors were the ones that he's talking to. Because he refers to many people who had mirrors, and they, but they would see themselves very rarely. They didn't go into the bathhouses with a bunch of mirrors. I mean, if you brought one of them today, from back then, today, and they see all the bathroom selfies on social media, they think everybody's rich. Holy cow! What a world we live in. But these people rarely saw themselves. And they might more naturally forget what they look like because they did not see their image all the time. It's the same thing with us. When we stop seeing the image reflected strictly from here, we will mistake our condition with our position every single time. You see, this is the mirror of which we look through. Every time we look at it, it should be a reflection of what we're seeing back. And when I'm reading something that God has said and God has promised, but I'm not seeing it in my life, that shows a lack in my life because I've not truly believed this yet. And I don't want to stay there. And I don't think most people do either. But I have to admit it where I see lack. Now I want to show you something here in Galatians chapter 5. Again, I'm almost finished, I promise. I say then, verse 16, walk in the Spirit. And you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, 
so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contention, jealousy, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambition, dissensions, heresy, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So these are a list of things that you, people who are doing these, will not inherit the kingdom of God. This is not an exhaustive list. Well, first... Verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with his passions and desire. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. So here we've got a list. You've got the fruits of the flesh and the fruits of the Spirit. If you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 5, Verse 9, it says, I write to you in my epistle not to keep company with sexually immoral people. Yet I certainly did not mean with the sexually immoral people of this world or with the covetous or extortioners or idolaters. Since then, you would need to go out of the world. In other words, they're all over. You'd have to leave the world and not be around them. You couldn't be here. What do you got to do? You got to die. But now I've written to you not to keep company with anyone named a brother who is sexually immoral or covetous or an idolater or reveler or a drunkard or an extortioner, not even to eat with such a person. For what have I to do with judging those also who are outside? Do you not judge those who are inside? But those who are outside, God judges. Therefore, put away from yourselves the evil person. Now, this is pretty intense. Because Paul's talking about, just like we have the fruits of the flesh, we're going to come back to that, and the fruits of the Spirit, should a born-again person be fulfilling the fruits of the flesh? No, they should be fulfilling the fruits of the Spirit. Those who are fulfilling the fruits of the flesh are what? Likely not born again. And he's going into this argument, I wrote you in my epistle not to keep company with sexually immoral people. Okay, Don't keep company with them. Which is implying that they have pulled back from all of Corinth. Corinth's a pretty nasty place. You should, you should definitely do some research there. I certainly do not mean what the sexually immoral people of this world. Implying what? If you're of this world, you are not born again. Or with the covetous or extortion or idolatrous, since you'd have to go out of the world. I have written to you to not keep company with anyone named a brother. That they're in this world, but they're not of it. Who is doing what? They're sexually immoral, they're covetous, they're idolater, a reveler, a drunkard, extortioner. Don't even eat with them. He's saying, we don't judge the world for their sins. We judge the church for acting like the world. Who judges the world? God does. So when you hear somebody say, you can't judge me, only God can, there's a reason we're making the proclamations we're making, because he's going to. And you need to know about that. Again, this isn't talking about witnessing or anything like that. This is about doing life with these people. Those guys, God does. He's going to judge them. But when you've got a brother who is acting just like them, what fruit is he portraying? The fruit of the world, fruit of the flesh. Go back to Galatians chapter 5. Let's start at verse 19. The works of the flesh are evident. 
There are idolatry, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contention, jealousy, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresy, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I told you in time past, those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, why? Is it that in particular sin that keeps him from inheriting the kingdom of God? No, because he now is going to turn his attention to those who are born again. And the fruit produced in their life, if they're truly born again, is what? Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now, let me ask you something. When it comes to fruit, does a plant have to trial and travail in order to produce fruit? Or is the fruit simply produced because of its nature? Our nature is what produces the fruit. We don't try to be patient. We don't try to love. We don't try to have long-suffering. As we grow in Christ, those natural fruits come out. The antithesis to that is as we are a part of this world, those natural fruits come out. You've never taught a child to tell a lie. You didn't have to. You don't have to teach a world to be sexually immoral. You don't have to teach it all around us. It's natural. You're going to find it because the fruit of the flesh will come out. And if that is true, then guess what? We don't try to do the fruit of the Spirit. We simply be who God has created us to be. And the overflow of that is the fruit produced. Do you guys see that? You see, it's walking in the fullness of who we are. It's not about doing. It's about being. And by being this and standing on God's Word, we will see that fruit manifest itself in our lives. But it starts with the same thing for us that it did for Jesus. It's believing His Word, reading it and accepting it as truth. We aren't there yet. We should be progressing there. You see, like as Jesus kind of, he turned the water into wine and then he calmed the storm and then he walked on it, you see him progress. You could make an argument that he progressed because he raised Jairus' daughter and said, gosh, she's just asleep, get out. And then you got Lazarus who's been dead for four days. I mean, you could, you could make an argument, well, look at that progression. And we know there's more to it than just simply that, but you could make that argument. You see, we need to be growing in this. But we can't get there until we admit where we are. We can't get there until we stare in that mirror and say, you know what? My faith isn't where it should be. My trust isn't where it should be. In Mark chapter 16, verse 15, And he said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved. But he who does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will follow those who believe. In my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will take up serpents. And if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. You see, when you believe that, there's nothing that will stop you from doing this. There's two parts to this is the first part is that you go into all the world and you're preaching the gospel. And he who believes, so if they don't believe, what happens? They're not saved. But he who believes will be saved. He who does not, you'll be condemned. It's your choice. You get an opportunity. But these signs are going to follow those who believe, those who have transformed, those who have given their lives to 
Christ. And in my name, they will do this, that, and the other. Is that true? It is true. So should we be walking around a little more arrogant spiritually than what we are? I know that word's got bad things tied to it, but think about this. Confident, however you want to say it. Should we be walking around more confident? Absolutely. Why are we so surprised when we hear about somebody getting healed? Why are we so surprised? We're always surprised. We shouldn't be. That's just reality, right? Just admitting where we are. I mean, when we hear Neil's testimony, we're like, man, that's awesome. Ethan's over there like, duh. And get me more donuts. But I mean, seriously, this is where we are. You see, you and I have a job to do. We don't try to do certain things. We walk around being the ambassador for Christ, preaching the gospel, making disciples, laying hands on the sick. Y'all, I want you guys to start getting ready. We've got an evangelist coming in next month. This guy's got a healing ministry. He is seeing incredible things. He just sent me a letter the other day. He's like, we have seen more blind eyes open, fully blind, not like rough eyesight, fully blind than we've ever seen. We're seeing more miracles in the last 12 months than we've ever seen. And he will come in here and tell you that he doesn't have a gifting and he doesn't have an anointing or anything like that. You know what happened to him? He read the word. He accepted it as the truth. And now he walks around as an ambassador of Christ. And he's coming to teach all of us how to do the same thing. That's why we're on this. Because I'm getting you all ready. We're getting back to the basics in the word. Be ready. I'm telling you, this city and our area can be completely transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. If we get a bunch of people who are fully devoted to Christ and His Word and what He says goes and will stop making excuses. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word. And I thank You, Lord, that we are walking in the fullness of it and that You are quickening our spirit. That we can know what your will is at all times. And we can know how you're going to respond. And I thank you, Lord, that you open doors of opportunity that we can prepare ourselves step by step to walk in the fullness of your power and what you've called us to do, Lord. That you may be glorified in our life and in every aspect of it. That every word we say and action we take is to bring glory to you. So, Lord, we thank you for all that you've done and continue to do. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a great week.